Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to put a plug in. If you'd like to read scripture um, on any given Sunday, we would love to have you read it. You can sign up. Um, on our sign-up genius that's for serving every Sunday, um, and there's a place for you to sign up to be a scripture reader one week. So I want to begin this series today with um, the why for it. I think that's important. Uh, Today, in general, is kind of going to be a why day, and we will get to more of the what um, the next two Sundays. Why are we doing a series on race and the Bible um, for the next three weeks? First, I think uh, a lot of this rises out of living in this highly diverse area of Northern Virginia and the people and the kind of thinkers and believers that we have arising out of that diversity. Just living in this area, living in this area generally means that we have learned this slightly more sophisticated cross-cultural competency, or at least we think we have. (laughs) We like to think we understand the conversation at hand. We, We like to think we understand the conversation of race better than much of the rest of the country understands the conversation of race. And it's true that living 
in this area contributes to that, yes, and of course our kids who aren't like most of us transplants here, but are growing up here, they will grow to have a, a greater cross-cultural competency than we will ever have, and so on and so on. We also have many school teachers in our congregation. We have people who work day-to-day -day jobs that are actually in the world of racial justice. We have people who are working in the inner city of uh, Southeast DC, Alexandria City, right here at Hayfield, um, who have been exposed to incredible training already, y'all get this stuff, on the conversation and dynamics of race in the educational setting or in the government world. Whatever cultural competency and understanding and willingness to engage in conversations about race arise, mostly for me, out of five or so years of teaching in the inner city of Norfolk, or my, my husband, longer than that, eight years across Norfolk and, and Durham, North Carolina, it's from our experiences in the public urban setting that makes a series like this one that's incredib incredibly important to me, and I knew that certain people would show up for this series here because it's incredibly important to you. And yet, the conversation of race still tends to make most people, especially white people, I'm a white person, just to make, I'm, I'm a white person of European descent. The conversation of race tends to make us, especially white people, very uncomfortable. And we really don't like discomfort very much, especially in the place that's supposed to give us our peace. So the conversation of race is one that will make us uncomfortable. There is no getting around that. I also have to begin by saying, over these next three weeks, I'm going to get it wrong at some point. I just am. I know that up front. I know that my background is going to lead me to say something at some point in time during this series that just isn't quite right. And <laughs> I, may, I may leave out significant things that should have been included. Well, you really, really should have brought up this, or you didn't, you didn't talk fully about that topic. Um, and so that's why I say that my email inbox and my text inbox and my Facebook Messenger inbox and my Instagram inbox like are open and ready, ready to receive whatever comments you have about what is said here, okay? So please, like whatever it is, um, maybe you need to email me to tell me that I got something wrong, something was off by that. Um, or maybe you wanna share a story or um, share your personal experience with um, injustice. I wanna hear it all, like, so whatever it is, please, um, please email me. I hope, I, I said it tongue in cheek earlier, like, 
I, um, my inbox is going to be real full this month of January. No, but I want it to be. So when I said that, it was tongue-in-cheek, but it was also like, I would love to hear from you all. I want to know what you're thinking. Um, I start by saying I'm going to get things wrong. <laughs> and um, I also start by asking you to assume the best in me, too. Right? That's, this is a place to do that, is to assume the best in one another. Um, assume my intentions and motivations um, for the next few weeks are really... Um, are really good, um, and also tell me when I've got it slightly wrong. Reach out to me, please, um, but assume the best of me. So 2022 has, um, has passed, and 2023 is before us, and if you could, if you can even stomach the 24-hour news cycle in any degree anymore, um, you know that um, of the top conversations of the last year, um, race has been one of them, but in a very particular way. Um, all of a sudden, it, um, besides one significant instance in Buffalo um, over the last year, um, where um, in, a, in a grocery store um, uh, in, a, in a predominantly black area, I, do you know that story? Um, where, so um, 10, um, uh, black people were gunned down, and it was related to their to their skin color. They went into their that area in, in order. That was a heart wrenching moment in the last year, for sure. But uh, there is a the m predominant conversation now is less um, what it was in um, at the time of George Floyd in 2020. The predominant conversation seems to be an intellectual one seems to be one that is um, much more about um, how we are going to ongoing teach future generations about race, racism, and justice. Um, and this, um, this term popped into the kind of um, this sphere, um, critical race theory. Um, it it kind of came out of nowhere, didn't come out of nowhere. We'll talk about that. But as far as the public discourse, it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. And we're left with this question, should these headlines, um, should they lead us to a time of deep introspection by anyone who values our nation and what's happening in this conversation and wish to fulfill um, you know, our, our destiny as people in America, in, or is this, maybe in the words of Shakespeare, much ado about nothing, right? Is it nothing, really, that we should talk about? And the way to answer this question will largely tell um, us something. The way we answer it will tell us something about how we feel about race in America, whether we say it is something that we should pause and, um, and think about and, and research and understand um, or whether it's much ado about nothing. Um, it tells us a lot about what we think about race in America. So we're not going to say it's much ado about nothing here at Kingstown. Um, so why this series in January 1st and more broadly because at Kingstown we believe um, that, that there are com courageous conversations to be had and that race matters, the conversation of race matters, um, that it affects us more than we realize that it's at the very heart of um, our national identity and how we see the identity of others. 
And I say that to you as your pastor because your citizenship of this country is not of my concern. <laughs> um, I'm worried about um, your citizenship of the kingdom of God, right? And this actually matters in that world. Um, as those people who believe that all people are created in God's image, that God's beauty is found in the face of every single person, that's what we gather to profess collectively, not despite the color of their skin, but in, in the hues of their skin, in the texture of their culture, in the resonances of their language that God has used to fashion every person. As people who believe in and honor that the image of God is in every person, we must acknowledge and, and enter into the pain of those who cry out in our society, who feel unaffirmed and rejected and often feel as if social justice has, has met them, social in, injustice has met them at their doorstep another time, generation after generation after generation, right? We have to listen into that. And so we start by not doing what um, Americans do so well, criticizing everyone but themselves. That's what we, we're good at. Instead, it's so easy it's so easy to start talking about these moments, um, and we will, we will talk about this, but it's so easy to talk about failed programs of government and, and nonprofits and education and countless groups who have attempted to eliminate prejudice and bias and racial injustice um, embedded in our country. But instead, rather than pointing the finger and pointing at everything else and everyone else, out there that has failed and has contributed to the socioeconomic and racial division of, of our country today, I think it makes much more sense, much more sense for us to talk about ourselves, the church. This is who we are here. We are the church. The series I would like to talk about how the church has contributed to this division. And also the unique bank of insight unique bake of insight we hold, that great story of redemption that is ours to read every week. It's what we come here to hear, the Bible and the richness of what might be in it and what it uniquely has to teach us about race and racism and justice and a way through the current climate of division towards God's unified vision for the world. And so that's what we're going to do here. We, the church, are going to talk about race. We have, if we have, if we begin, we have to talk about ourselves. And so in most re recent years, um, and I'm uh, talking like well past the civil rights era, in most recent years, the group that has been the most woefully lacking in conversation anywhere across the United States about race is the church. And I'm not, I'm not talking about those churches out there. Like, I, we won't be doing any of that out there language in this series. I'm talking about even churches like Kingstown, filled to overflowing with us more thoughtful, more culturally competent, more progressive, more woke people, so much so that our, our commitment to being, um, to being woke exceeds our our commitment to being Christian. Even in churches like this, in churches like Kingstown, a real grappling with race 
has been woefully lacking in churches where it might not be nearly as contentious to do a sermon series like this one, like Kingstown. And maybe it's because we think we already get it. Maybe we do. Um, Shame on us who think we get it, right? We don't. Um, It wasn't long after after Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream speech that he went um, to lecture at uh, Western Michigan University He gave this lecture on race, and afterwards there was this this Q&A portion. And during his lecture on race, Dr. King said, most Christians in the United States fail to live out the tenets of their faith. And then he said, we must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution. At 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, when we gather to sing that blessed hymn, Christ has no east and west, he said. We also stand at the most segregated hour of the nation, and that is so tragic. There are reasons. We will also talk about that for why that is. Now, I want you to think of the church, small c, over over the country, like small church, like Kingstown, as you read these statistics, as you hear me read these statistics, because one One might think that given that this was 1963, exactly 60 years ago, that we in the church would have had significant progress on this. I mean, it it was the church. No, it wasn't. The black church. (laughs) Let's be clear. It was the black church that was at the foreground of the civil rights movement. But you would think that God would have gotten our attention, would have gotten deep into us by now, 60 years later in the United States of America, because certainly so many other churches have changed in our society. So many other, um, other organizations have changed in our society. So what, what does the church look like years later? Well, um, more than 85% of all churches in the United States of every denomination and background remain segregated. More than 80% of their members represent members of only one race or ethnic group, and this represents a major threat to the future of the church as a whole. And if you don't think that that is a justice issue, maybe it's easier for you to think of it as an evangelism issue. We should care as the church about whether another generation will come to know who Jesus is and the beauty of the church, all that the beauty of the church has to offer them in their lives. Because the youngest generations, like our high school students and our college students, especially those in Northern Virginia, find it very strange that they walk into a public school classroom and there's incredible diversity and they walk into a college lecture room and there's incredible diversity and they join the Marine Corps and the Army and there's incredible diversity. They walk into their profession, their, the workforce, incredible diversity. And then they walk into the church and it's a whole different story. 86% of the United States of any type of church no matter the denomination, are still segregated. And what, what they think 
is this, because they're, they're so smart, this younger generation, they think, how is it that in high school, in college, in the military, and at work, and in, in this area, and even in our neighborhoods here, there is incredible ethnic and cultural diversity. But when I walk into my church, it's not that way. And those are the people who sing those beautiful you know, hymns about Jesus Christ, that there's this great fellowship of God. How is it that in the church we can sing songs like they will know us as Christians because of our love, and most people look the same? Real quick, let's just like, let's take a second and swivel around, just look at the room. And this may not be a good gauge, you know, it's a holiday weekend, who knows, but you may not believe this, in the United Methodist Church, they would actually consider this a multi-ethnic church. The reason for that is that the standard is so unbelievably low, friends. The standard is that if you have above 20% of people in various ethnicities beyond whatever the dominant ethnicity is, you are now a multi-ethnic church. And based on our list of you know, regular attending families and all that, we barely make that mark. Congratulations! <laughs> um, but, but here's the bigger question. How, how many of you, how many of us have friends who have sat in our home or eaten our food or have listened to, um, we've listened to their stories about their upbringing, their backgrounds, how they see the world, how, how many of us have actual real relationships with people of a different ethnicity or culture than us? How many of, um, and if we do have them, how many of those people did you meet in church? Because we are, in the D.C. metro area because of the way people in these parts usually vote, because we have this greater cultural competency and because we are Kingstown Communion. Um, more than other churches have been, we have been, yeah, like trending towards younger, more diverse. Um, none of this disqualifies us from continuing to have an important conversation and an uncomfortable conversation about race. And there are many ways that we could enter this conversation. But in 2023, given the headlines and the conver conversations happening in and around the public schools and the fear-based manipulation of politicians around CRT, critical race theory, um, aiming to get like anxiety-prone parents on you know, whatever side they need to be on. And because our cultural competency is high, but our biblical and theological competency pretty low, um, we are going to talk about race. Um, we are going to construct a biblical race theory here at Kingstown for the next three weeks um, by looking at what the Bible says about race, racism, and justice. And so today is more introductory, but um, I want you to take a look for a second at what are the biggest concerns that Christians have noted about um, the tenets of critical race theory. So these, these are more, um, they are taking the five main tenets of critical race theory and are, say, are, are putting them in the light of, in the words of the way Christian denominations, the way Christians in general have felt um, uh, uh, make them very uncomfortable. So one, race is 
human or man-made and a construct of society. And out of that created privilege for whiteness. Two, racism is permanent. There is no, um, there's no fix in this thing. Counter stories of marginalized peoples are needed. And we'll talk a little bit why that they think that, why some Christians believe that is um, not necessary. Number four, being colorblind is not being truthful about race in America. And number five, racial progress is only ever really made when white people benefit from it. We're going to look at those five in light of um, scripture and see what we find there over the next few weeks. I believe that it is so important that we have this conversation in light of our faith because, because of where the church began. We, we were in Ephesians a few months back, but the early church, you know, it got out of Jerusalem and it went into Samaria and it went into Judea and out into the ends of the earth just as Jesus predict, predicted that it would, said, commanded the church to do. It became this very diverse space. And you find that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we, like, we studied together before. When we read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we often don't think about the people who, who made up the church then. It looked nothing like the church today. Who are the Ephesians? Where is Ephesus? Anybody know? So where is Ephesus? Anybody know where Ephesus is? Turkey, thank you, good. So Ephesus is in Turkey, um, and, and Turkey is right across from, from Greece. Um, a lot of people, a lot of first-generation Americans do not have any sense of world geography, so um, I'm, I thank you um, for knowing that. Um, and tests prove that, tests prove that first-generation Americans have no sense of, uh, of geography. Well, Turkey is across from Greece, and when Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, here's what he's saying. He's saying, wow, Ephesus, wow, you are, look at the church you're building in one of the most diverse cities in the ancient world. Why was it diverse? Because it was one of the largest Roman seaports in Asia Minor. And whoever had the largest port had the greatest diversity. Ephesus sits on the Mediterranean Sea, and it didn't just draw people from different countries, it drew people from different continents. And so there are people from Egypt who would have been there, and people from Carthage, and people from Greece, and people from Europe, and Palestine, and all those people were collecting in a place called Ephesus. Why? Because like all major urban centers, even today, the whole world comes to them, right? Because they have a major place of, of commerce and trade, and, and it's a place of wealth, too, and of extreme poverty, too. And in this place where people from all over the world, Paul started this church in Ephesus. The very, this is the earliest account of the church. And they didn't meet despite their difference. They met because their differences centered around a common 
purpose in Christ, a common pursuit of righteousness, a common ear to the call of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate to the world that all things are possible when Jesus Christ becomes both Savior and Lord in their lives, including, including meeting, meeting that guy from Carthage and meeting that woman from Greece and meeting that guy from Palestine and finding oneness, not in where they were from, but in, in Christ Jesus, but allowing the beauty of their diversity also to not be stifled, but to be celebrated in that space. I'm, I'm convinced that's why their numbers boomed, right? All the stories say, and 3,000 were added to their number each day. This is why people flocked to the church then, and I'm also convinced it's why people are not flocking to the church now. Because finally, race then, there, was not something that divided. Christ was something that united. And and Paul says that in the letter, to, um, we read this morning, he says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us, Christ made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Paul says that this is the goal of God, to bring unity to all things on heaven and earth under Christ. You want to understand the purpose of the church, the purpose of Christ. It was to bring unity. In, in another place it says, to give, I give you the ministry of reconciliation, to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with each other. And for Paul though, it wasn't just sufficient to be reconciled to God. And in American culture, we have, <laughs> we have a lot of this. If I'm good with Jesus, you should be good with me because we're both Christians. Black Christians will say that hasn't worked out for them. Paul didn't believe that. Paul says, yes, you should be reconciled to God, but the sign that you are truly reconciled to God is that you will be reconciled to one another. This, is oneness, this oneness that Jesus talks about is, is also talked about in the Gospel of John and and, and then later in Revelation, where, where it's not just a description of the vision for the church anymore. In Revelation, it's this description of John describes heaven, what heaven might look like. We pray a prayer every week um, where we say, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and um, I wonder if you've ever thought of how unbelievably um, unlike heaven this earth is or this church is or this world is right now John put it like this I looked out and there would be this great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people language standing before the throne of God and they would be wearing these white robes and waving palm branches in their hands all of them palm branches are in, in the ancient world the sign of victory um, can you picture that? Can you picture that, the throne of God and all these people in a multitude that you can't even count and you realize as you look around that every single nation and ethnicity and culture is represented there. Paul and John had the same vision and it was the vision of Jesus. It's the command that Jesus gives us. And so over the next two weeks, um, we're gonna, this is, why do we talk about this? Why should we talk about it? Because it literally is the vision for the world set out from the start. Um, what will we talk about? Um, 
we're going to take um, some time over the next few weeks to look at those pieces of, um, of critical race theory and um, compare them to what we know about, um, about who God is and how God um, calls us into community with others. Um, would you pray with me? God, we are grateful to be a part of your church. Um, and in many ways, this is a glimpse of, um, of the heaven we do not see out in the, in the world, a place where people come together um, to share their stories, a place where people um, uh, sing and pray and remember that they can't do life on their own. Um, but in other ways, God, the church is still um, so unlike the church you intended and the heaven that is before us. And God, we care that the church doesn't go away, um, that it doesn't shrivel up and die because this place has been meaningful to us. And we admit that one of the main reasons that it becomes more and more inconsequential, more and more completely out um, of sync with the world around it is the fact that the church uh, hasn't, we haven't figured out how to be in relationship with each other across culture, ethnicity, language. And so we repent of that, God. Um, and we don't even know what, where to begin. Um, we repent of that first to say that that's sad, that that's the reality, um, and it is. Um, but we also uh, say that we, um, there is, it's not a list of things that this church um, must uniquely change to make it a space um, that would be more diverse. God, that has over and over again failed the church every time it does that, but that um, that it is about the way we create relationships among each other. It's the way we share stories. It's the way we create a community that is um, where everyone's story matters. And so we, we ask God that you'd move in our own hearts, um, that you would um, move in our hearts to help us realize where um, structural um, injustice is, uh, is a real thing, but also move in our hearts to, to know where individual injustice, individual bias, individual prejudice still plagues each one of us. And um, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who calls us together at one table. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.